2: So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal. And Renee. And hey, we have an excellent guest today, but before we introduce them, we thought we would go back to what we used to do and read a quick review. We got this really nice review last week on Apple. And it is from Benjamin Franklin's Daughter. And the title of the review is, I Love Them, and it's five stars. Thank you for that. And the review says, Two Women Chatting True Crime. What more could you ask for?
1: Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is so nice. Thank really you very is. much for the nice review, Benjamin Franklin's Daughter.
1: And I'm going to kick it to Renee. Renee. Okay, so we're super excited uh, to be interviewing Larry Hawkins. He is a retired detective of 31 years. He worked for Williamson County, the Austin area, Galveston County, uh, Dickinson PD, and Laporte PD. He's also featured on some TV shows, uh, Snapped, The Jennifer Bowen Case, Disappeared, The Rachel Cook Case, and The Confession Killer, uh, Henry Lee Lucas, Episodes 4 and 5 on Netflix. So that's pretty awesome that he was featured on this. I guess those are All some right. cases that he worked yeah, on. Yeah, he
2: solved a lot of cold cases. I can't wait to hear the scoop.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. Well, thanks for joining us on True Crime Broads, and we'll be right back. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime Broads. We would also love to see you on our social media. Our two main platforms are Instagram and Facebook under True Crime Broads, but we also have a presence on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter.
1: And also, if you listen to our podcast and enjoy it, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple. And also, there's an option on Apple to leave a review as well. Thank you for listening to True Crime Rods.
2: Welcome back to True Crime Broads.
1: We are really excited to have Larry on the show with us. Hi, Larry. We are so glad that you joined us today. And I just wanted to thank you for coming on um, and also wanted to ask you to in- introduce yourself uh, to our listeners and talk a little bit about your background in in uh, police work.
0: Okay, I'm Larry Hawkins. I am a retired detective, retired police officer of 30 years. I was a detective right at nine years. The majority of cases I worked were uh, death investigations. Uh, I was fortunate enough at an agency that allowed us to work cold cases when time was available. And I worked several cold cases, but we only saw three that I was a part of anyway. They've solved more since I've left, of course. Um, What else you want?
1: What area was that in? What city?
0: It was the Williamson County Sheriff's Office up near Austin.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's an area that I'm sure y'all have no um, problem having cases to solve. I, it's a big area, so okay. Yeah,
0: it's a great agency. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's a great agency. A lot of good detectives there. A lot of good administration. That's awesome. Their, their case their caseload is incredible.
1: Right. Okay, so you you spoke about three unsolved crimes that you were able to help uh, solve. Can you tell us a little bit more about those?
0: One that I was a lead agent on was a case from 1978. It involved two people that were murdered, one in Williamson County and one north of Williamson County. Uh, The actual crime occurred in Williamson County itself, the abduction. Um, Henry Lee Lucas took the credit for killing these folks. And of course, through DNA and other evidence, we found out that he was not responsible.
2: Wow. And
0: once we submitted the DNA for the, the correct actor, uh, we were able to go locate him in the Dallas area, conduct an interview and got a partial confession. And we also did a buckle swab and got a DNA match that he was our suspect
2: how did you get that partial confession did you catch him in some lies or how did that work out
0: well at first he of course was not there but once we Mm -hmm. introduced the evidence that we did have to him um, he started putting himself there but he was not responsible for pulling the trigger Mm. on either subject so it it actually worked out great Um, he's in prison the rest of his life he was tried in two different counties and convicted all right, that's amazing. It was a lot of work by a lot of people. Definitely not just me.
1: That's good when everybody comes together and works, you know, together to to help, you know, solve the crimes and stuff, and not just one sided or you know, doesn't want other other agencies to interfere. I think that's great.
0: Well, on this particular case, the Texas Rangers they did a parallel investigation with us, and uh, my partner Matt Lindeman. At the time, uh, was responsible for majority of the work that we did as well.
1: That's awesome. They were doing a parallel investigation. Did so do they do like an investigation and then y'all come together and kind of compare notes type thing, or how does that work?
0: Yeah, Williamson County is kind of unique. Um, every death investigation that we did, if it was a, a high, especially if it was high profile. A Texas Ranger usually comes in, does a parallel investigation just to make sure everything is going the way it's supposed to. Um, and yes, at the end, you compare notes to make sure we're on the same page with our evidence, our interviews, and all the information that was gathered.
2: That's so great because that just shows that, you know, you guys, everyone was working together. You weren't, egos aren't getting in the way, just making sure that something wasn't missed because we're, everyone's a human being. Right. So that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Okay, so you had mentioned also that you had um, in the in the some of these cases that you were talking about, you were a guest on some different crime shows. Can you tell our listeners about that and how to find how to find these these particular uh, episodes?
0: Well, that particular case uh, was the uh, Rita Salazar and Frank Key murder case. Henry Lee Lucas was a serial killer at the time took confessions. I mean, confessed to several crimes that he did not commit. Uh, The show that we're talking about now is called confession killer. It was a uh, four or five part series. that was on Netflix. Um, Our case was featured on the last four and five episode. Um, Lucas took credit for over a thousand murders and he committed he committed the ones in the single digits. Um, his, his mother being one of them. So. Wow. Uh, the other case was a case called uh, Disappeared is the name of the show. That case is still unsolved though. Uh, Rachel Cook. Uh, it's been 21 years as of last January 10th that she's been missing and Myself and six other detectives have worked that case through and through, and we never were able to find her. The thing with her case is kind of unique, though. You, ha- you had no crime scene. We have no idea. She ran 10 miles a day, and we have no idea where she came up missing, and there's no witnesses to her disappearance. So you have nothing to go on a, on a case like that.
1: Mm. Oh, that's you just wait on,
0: you wait on a lot of tips. We've had tips in the thousands
1: mm. when
0: I was there and none of them have panned out obviously so it's it's still a cold case and the other one's called snapped um the jennifer bowen murder case john Blatner was the actual victim of the murder but jennifer bowen and kevin bowen were the married couple that killed her ex-husband
1: oh that's right i remember i remember hearing about that one okay wow that's awesome. So, um, so yeah. So, if anybody wants to check those out, um, feel free. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely watch that one too because I think I've checked out one of those. I was
0: fortunate enough to work for a sheriff that wanted our cases publicized. Uh, me getting those cases just was luck of the draw. Um, luckily for me, we we did a lot of good work and w- with the team effort that we had between our the folks that were doing our crime scene our evidence, the detectives that helped out on each one of these cases. A lot of people think it's just one detective that goes in, but we had several detectives doing different parts of the investigation. Some were doing re-canvassing, re-interviewing everybody that was involved, seeing if there was anybody that never got interviewed, which we did find out a few times. Um, Going over the evidence again with new eyes, reading reports again with new eyes. I think that's great. there might be something that was missed and just about every time a new detective took over the cases, something else was located. Something else was discovered that they didn't know before. So it's a, it's actually a good thing to have new people come in and look at your case. Sometimes I was on Rachel Cook's case for six years and it, it, it was time for someone else to come in and look at, see maybe I missed something. Um, so that's, that's how those cases are worked.
1: You know, I had a question and then I had a, we have a listener that had a a question and they kind of go together. So, um, and this is a a shout out to George. He sent this question in, um, do you think releasing additional video footage of, of the crime or a crime would generate tips and public interest?
0: depending on what footage it is because if you release something that's crucial in your evidence Uh and the case is not closed out yet you have a chance that your suspect is watching that footage as well and it it lets him it allows him to know where you're at on your case right is he a is he somebody that needs to start really worrying or do you have nothing at all Uh, you don't want to show your cards. Uh, if there's a guy out there that did something, i don't want him to know how close we are or how far apart we are right because if he knows that we're nowhere near he's he's going to be very relaxed about it and if he th- if if we show what we've already discovered and then we put it on television. He's going to know we're getting close and you're probably going to lose him. He's probably going to flee. Mm, yeah, that, ma- yeah that, that makes sense. sense.
1: Um, and then my part of the question to that was um, you said you had, you know, a few times started over on a case, you just kind of started over fresh. Um, do you find that that is helpful in getting more tips that you didn't have the first time or do you get kind of the same thing?
0: Well, you have to. You, you know, when you first get assigned a cold case, as it's quoted um you go and you read everything that's already been done and you basically have to start from scratch when you start over again um the main thing is is there evidence now that was not processed back in the day that it was actually done um again with the frank key rita salazar case her underwear had never been uh tested so it was it was sent off it was tested, and it came back with evidence of semen from our suspect, who is now in prison. Oh wow! But during the during the day and time that this was done in '78, that was unheard of. Luckily, we had a heads a heads up patrol officer and crime scene folks that decided to save that evidence in case it was.
1: That's awesome. That is. We were great. able to use it later. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so we had you uh, watch the surveillance footage from the Missy Beavers case. And um, if you were to be put on this case, what would be one of the first things that you would, that you would do? Like you're starting over to, to help out?
0: After rereading everything that was ever written, I would re-interview everybody that was ever interviewed. And also try to see if there's anyone new that was not interviewed. Because that happens in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And then watch, watching the video footage, um, you can take the video footage, how many years ago is it now? Seven. Seven years. Okay, so, so seven years ago, you can do a lot of things to videos now that you could not seven years ago. So you take that to an expert who um, works in the, the film industry, the video industry, I should say, mm-hmm and see if there's new technology they can enhance that video right can zoom in a little better on the license plate zoom in a little better on your suspect so there's a lot of things that you can do now that you could not seven years ago so i would exhaust all those avenues as well and your main your your key thing is going to be re-interviewing everyone because seven years has gone by there's there's a a thing that i 100 believe still true today if you told the truth you don't really have to remember a lot. It's true. If you made up a, if you made up a lie, seven years later, you're going to have holes in your story. Yep. So re-interviewing these folks with a, with fresh eyes and and someone yes, new. That's so true. Actually,
1: yeah. yeah. People forget the lies they tell. That's so true. Like, what what was it that yeah. I said? Yeah. I guess, that makes sense. Well, that's great. Okay.
0: You're, you're asking new questions that might not have been asked before. Mm-hmm. Different angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's a lot of different things that you can do. As far as your interview, um, a lot of people now, I mean, seven years ago, interview techniques were different than they are now. There's a lot of body language experts out there. There's a lot of people that actually can watch your video. Now handwriting experts that can look at your handwriting and tell if you're lying when you write your statement. So there's a lot of different technologies now that they were there. And even seven years ago, they were new. They were new. You guys still there?
2: Yeah, we're here. Yeah, we're here.
0: Okay, I, I got kicked off somehow.
2: Oh, no, we see you. Yeah, you're here. You're good.
0: All right. Anyway, there's a lot of new technology that I would definitely put to use mm-hmm. to see if we're going to be, if we come up with the same answer that that was uh, concluded last time.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's a, um, I mean, definitely you're going to come up with if, if they're lying, they're going to come up with something that wasn't said the first time. Um, I have another right. question that kind of I just thought of after you started talking about that. When you when a, somebody is questioned, is it procedure to video it as well as um, like how, how do they normally record that? Is it like audio recording, video recording, or is it is is it just chatting in a room together?
0: Any agency I've been with. Um, Audio and video, both, especially when you're working a a death investigation. Uh, You want it recorded every way you can. Mm -hmm. Most of your district attorneys are going to want it recorded as well, especially if you get a confession. You definitely want it on video as as well as audio.
1: So if you were to go back and uh, re-interview someone who was interviewed many years ago, you would definitely want to watch the first one and then interview them a second time.
0: Correct. Okay. Listening to their answers, looking at their body language, mm-hmm. um, knowing their history. Um, have they been in trouble since? You know, do a new history on them, see if they've been handled again for anything else. Um, you know, for all you know, they've been handled for an offense like uh, assault, something like that, since the death investigation. So now you you have more information about mm-hmm. this person than you had during the interviews at that time.
2: Right. Okay. Is it pretty unlikely that reminded me of a question? Is it unlikely for you to charge someone with murder who has zero violence in their past? Is that unusual?
0: Not unusual at all. Okay. Interesting. Crimes, of passion, crimes of passion happen all the time, whether it's uh, jealousy or something happened uh, road rage, things such as that you might have people that are very smart, very lucky that have got away with it all these years and then they finally got caught. Mm -hmm. So interesting. It's not uncommon to have somebody commit a homicide. That's never had a history of it.
1: Okay. Okay. I have another question from our listener. Um, Has it been your experience that the public has been, or can be helpful in solving crime?
0: The, The public can be helpful. Um, I can give you Rachel Cook's case. Uh, you know we've thousands of phone calls, but a lot of times, and, and as as in her case, it's people guessing what they think has happened. Right. So you got to exclude those, mm-hmm. but you have to listen to every story because you can't exclude anything until you you do a complete follow up on what they've told you, and you either keep it in your uh, keep it in the file, or you exclude it you've checked it and it's no good the public has helped out i would say i can't give you a percentage but i i think it's very high with our cases anyway public's calling and giving tips to um what they just saw the day before on cold cases i haven't seen a lot of phone calls uh help out with a case on on my personal uh cases but I'm sure around the world they've, they've definitely helped out. But you don't want to discourage the public from not calling them because they might have actually have some information, and they might have been scared to give you that information all these years, and the suspect died, so now they're willing to tell you. There's a lot of reasons.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you say to someone who was hesitant about uh, coming forward with information that they had?
0: Well, if you have information on a homicide, of course, you're going to be nervous that the person that you're going to give up is going to come back and get you. But I have rarely seen that done. And especially if by the time they realize that they're being interviewed and they're a suspect, it's not going to be long before they're in jail um, unless they're in some kind of mob or they're that well connected where they can have you um hurt or killed on the outside mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's pretty low percentage that you would have to worry about something like that okay the point is if nobody helps us uh, i don't there's not not one crime that i've ever solved that somebody was not a witness or a key person as a civilian that has helped solve that crime yeah. police officers can't just do it by themselves we have to have the public involved.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's talk again about the Missy Beavers uh, surveillance footage. Um, do you lean, I know I know it's just a video, I know you don't know um, any kind of background <clears throat> about the case, um, but just from what you see, um, we can tell you that nothing was taken from the church, uh, according to the people that worked there in police. Um, there was nothing. Uh, Missy wasn't assaulted sexually. Um, anything else that he would need to know before I ask?
2: No, um, just that the perpetrator did walk around for about 30 minutes prior to Missy's arrival and kind of fiddled with things and did some very minor vandalism, but nothing of any substance and nothing, like Renee said, nothing was removed, nothing, there was no bag that they were putting things in. Um, They didn't seem to be looking too hard for things. They kind of are wandering about. You probably noticed their pace wasn't very quick. They were just kind of hanging out there. It looks to us like they were waiting for Missy to arrive, but there's also a small percentage of our listeners that think perhaps Missy walked in on something else like a burglary or a vandalism or somebody doing some cosplay or something but um but yeah that's it we just we're just kind of wondering what you see there um I would say the vast majority of people think they were there for Missy but mm-hmm. obviously we respect the other opinions as well
1: so would you say in in hearing all of that that you would lean towards it being targeted or untargeted not 100 percent, but just what your initial thoughts are
0: Well, there's no concrete way to say any of that, because if if you look at it the way I'm having to look at it from the outside, you have to add up some things. Was she sexually assaulted? No. Was she robbed? No. Did anything personally happen to her physically other than being murdered? They didn't beat her up. They didn't tie her up. They didn't do anything. So you would have to look at that as being more than likely a personal issue towards her than a random thing. Uh, If they were in the middle of burglarizing this place, stealing everything out of it that they could take and she walked in and they didn't have mask on or the person didn't have a mask on, then, of course, they'd be worried, well, she's going to be able to identify me. I better kill her. But if they're completely masked up, completely camouflaged from head to toe, and she walked in on them, I don't think they would be so worried about a small woman um doing anything to them to where they would have to kill her right so
2: and since they were dressed up as a cop they could have just said sorry ma'am we were just didn't mean to startle you we're just checking out the building you know they could have slipped out while she was caught off guard i agree with you yeah there wouldn't be a reason to kill her if they're all covered up like that
0: yeah yeah i mean if she was sexually assaulted beat up something like that it would be a little bit different but with nothing Really happening inside that church, except for her murder, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like a personal uh, attack to me.
1: Well, and not only that, but, um, you know, and the, the police always listed her uh, injuries as uh, I always forget how they worded that puncture wounds. Yeah, to the head and chest. And then it's listed in uh, murderdata.org uh, as a. Homicide by by a gun. Mm -hmm. So we have two different uh, ways that they uh, were able to harm Missy, you know, by shooting her and by uh, physical harm by one of the tools that they had in their hand, whether it was a uh, hammer or whatever. So to me, that also says uh, personal, you know, that they kind of overboard.
0: Yeah, I would have to see the autopsy report to see how significant those wounds were Mm -hmm. and what actually caused her death? Was it the, the, the hammer or the the object hitting her? Or was it the firearm that actually killed her?
1: Right. Okay. That makes sense. So
0: without, without having that in front of you, it's hard to determine. Yeah.
2: How, how often, think. how what percentage of murders um, do you think are probably a hitman versus the actual person who wanted the person dead doing it?
0: I can tell you it's pretty low. Um, in my entire career, I worked one case. Where a hitman was hired
2: one One, Uh,
0: so you know they happen that is for sure i'm sure in in the 70s and 80s they were they happened a lot more once these television shows started showing how these people were set up to um hire Mm hitmen and it was usually a cop Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people Change their minds about doing that type yeah. of thing. Because, <laughs> when you're already dealing with a stranger, so you don't know if he's a cop or not.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: I think it's pretty rare.
2: Right. I think so too. Now, as far as hitmen, when there is a hitman involved, how are those murders, do they take place? Is it pretty, would it be pretty rare for a hitman to wander around and then approach someone the way Missy was approached? Or would you expect you know, more I, of a gunshot from a distance? I don't
0: know any. <laughs> I don't know any hitmen, but um, unfortunately, all we have to operate off of is the movies. Um, a few cases I have read about, they were 100% business. Mm-hmm. They went in, took care of business, and left. They didn't hang out. They didn't hang around after they got in, did their job, and they left. Mm-hmm. So, for what it's worth, that's. Just my opinion on that.
2: Right. We just, we've just we had a lot of people speculate that perhaps someone hired this person to kill Missy. So I was kind of curious what you thought about that.
0: Well, as an officer and a detective, you have to keep that in the back of your mind that that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. But just as in any case that you're going to work, it's a, it's a process of elimination that you have to go through.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that. And would be hard. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I thought you said so. Okay. (coughs) Uh, Yeah, and you hadn't had a chance to see the surveillance uh, footage across the highway. About half a mile um, down the road, there's a um, gun store, fairly large gun store with excellent cameras. Um, And they spotted a car... um, strangely driving around they pull into the parking lot they turn off their lights instantly they drive around a little bit they flash their lights at the back of the building which i some people think they were like notifying somebody but i really don't think so because it's the wrong direction and it's the back of the property but nevertheless uh, it, the car was acting strangely they they parked and sat there for three minutes and then they left um, so I think the whole total, was the total of the drive around was like six minutes total? It's like it? six minutes. Yeah. And um, that's part of it that's that's interesting. Don't know if it's related or not, but police have always wanted to talk to the driver.
2: And as far as we know, the driver has never come forward. Now, is it possible that that person was passing through? Because there's a lot of through traffic on 287, mm-hmm. and that's the street this all occurred on. So it's possible the person was just passing through town and didn't know the local police were asking for someone to come forward. That's right. possible, but we don't know why that person has never come forward, but it's just kind of a curious. Now that tidbit. car,
0: that car does not match the car that came up into the church parking lot. though, right.
2: Well, there, there's no car seen in, in the church parking lot. Um, they do have some reports of a car that does not match that one, leaving the church parking lot after the murder. So whether or not that car is involved, we have no idea. The one at the church at the gun store down the street.
0: Okay, the video that I watched shows a car parked in a rainstorm and yes. sits there for a little bit with the headlights yes. on and yes. then so out.
1: Yeah, you did you did see it. Okay. Yeah, that's that, about half a mile yeah. down the
2: street and that's at SWFA Gun Store on 287. So it's cat corner across the street about half a mile from the church. And it was a couple hours before the murder. So you know, a lot of people have us. schedule another. That's another, that that's another thing you
0: have to look at. Was she? Was was her job going there every night?
2: Yes. Yeah she she, she was had, there every
0: night. Well, no. she
2: had a schedule of getting there uh, about four fifteen, four twenty, on certain days. I yeah. think it was Monday. Yeah, three days. a week. Yeah. Days she a did week. have a set schedule, and it was very public. She would post it on her Facebook. It was also on the workout company's Facebook. And it was posted everywhere.
0: So with it, it, it's curious to me as an investigator that they timed it when there was a rainstorm. Right. Uh, Might just be be coincidence. Uh, Best way to get rid of evidence is in a rainstorm. So uh, plus less likely that somebody's just going to come nonchalant, walk inside and interrupt them if there's a rainstorm. So a lot of people don't like getting out of their car and coming inside anywhere unless they really have to. So that's something you got to look at. Yeah. Was it just coincidence or was it set up that way?
1: Mm-hmm. Plus a lot of people might not, might be more likely not to come to the class because of the rain, because it was torrential rain, as you can right. see. Um, right. Yeah. And, and another thing that we've always wondered um, with Missy, with what we know about how she was uh physically uh, assaulted, And and murdered, what are the odds that this person was able to leave without some sort of blood on them? I mean, I just can't imagine that
0: there's any way. I would have to to see the autopsy report, see how violent it was. Did they shoot her at close range? Did they shoot her 10 feet across the room? And they're going to have any blood on them. Uh, Whatever they hit them with, did they uh, hit them hard enough to make them bleed or just hard enough to make them bruise? So, all these things would have to be looked at on the autopsy.
1: Oh, that's good points.
0: But yeah, I mean, you kill somebody and walk out without a scratch on you mm-hmm. or any evidence on you.
1: Yeah. Right. They right. talked about blood spatter on that um, HLN segment. Um, I think they might have just been looking for something to fill the segment
2: because yeah. that didn't really seem to apply the things that that expert was saying. I mean, it might, we just don't know. Right. Um, and as you can imagine, the autopsy report has been sealed since day one. That's not public. So we can't get that Yeah, until
0: they close the case out. You won't be able to get any of that, but that seems like um, that's
2: probably pretty normal. Is that right? That the autopsy reports are not public until it's all over. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Oh, and the you 911. Know, here's something interesting. You know how sometimes the 911 calls will be released early on? You know, and you'll hear it on the news, like shortly after the murder? The 911 call has been sealed in this case. And I have to think that there must be some information given by the 911 caller that found Missy that gives something away they don't want the perpetrator to hear. That's all I can think of, because they've sealed that as well.
0: I would imagine you're right about that.
2: Perhaps her condition. There's probably,
0: there's probably information on there that they do not want released.
2: Right. Which maybe some, exactly something why. was found close to her or some manner of death was, okay, yeah, something like that. Who,
0: who is it that found her?
2: It was one of her, it was a student in her class, but it was actually, ironically, his very first day to try the class. But it was someone that she knew. Um, it was a person she was friendly with in the community, and he decided to finally come and try the class. And that was the morning that she got killed.
0: Was he cleared?
2: Yes, as far as we know, yes.
0: He had an alibi of where he was.
2: Yes, in fact, I did,
0: he, that's, that's the thing you got. to You got to check Right, the first person that found her. That right. makes
2: sense. Yeah, he apparently had a hard time getting in. Apparently, there's something special about how you open that door and him being brand new his first day. He couldn't get the door open, but he could see Missy's truck out there and he knew she was there. He was trying to figure out what was going on. And it was raining. So I got back in his car and then when some other more experienced people showed up, they knew how to get into that door. And then that's when they all found her at the same time.
0: Which tells you that your bad guy had the same experience. He knew how to get in that door.
1: I think they broke in. Yeah, they broke the whole uh, glass uh, door out. And I guess we're just able to just walk through the. Yeah. And they went on. the. They broke
2: in on the opposites. I say they because I don't know if it's a him or her. The perpetrator broke in on the opposite side of the building that Missy goes in. So the door that they were trying to to
0: look at that two ways. Did he do that to make it look like it's uh, to stage it,
2: uh-huh.
0: or did he do that because he knew that if if he went over to the door that had to have a special way to get in, that that would help? That would be something that they would look at and say, "Well, obviously, it's somebody that That's familiar. knows how to get in here." So right. it's going to be somebody she knows. Who knows?
1: Right. Right yeah that's true uh what about uh what are your thoughts on requesting assistance from other agencies when working a case how important is that
0: i think it's very important and i learned that like i said at williamson county um, if your ego is not going to let you have extra help that might give you a different perspective on your case then you probably shouldn't be doing law enforcement because it is a team effort there's no i in team as they say and if you're out there trying to solve the case all by yourself and you don't want to share it with anybody you're in the wrong business i think bringing another agency in for manpower is important Bringing another agency in for a different set of eyes is important uh yeah you check your ego at the door
2: awesome
1: that's good advice Um, I saw a case not long ago where the police department uh, were not only helping to promote um, raising funds for something that they needed to do in the case, but also, um, you know, constantly putting information out there like this is who, you know, this this murder hasn't been solved. This is the information that we have. If you have any information. um, Why do you think that some police departments are really big on that and others aren't? Because I've just noticed some you don't ever hear anything from them.
0: It's about money. Every agency is on a budget. And when you're on a budget, most of the time you can't afford to pay an extra detective to do just cold cases. Uh, Myself, I was on cold cases strictly for two years. It finally got to a point where we're not making any headway. I need you to help get us caught up on current cases. Uh, So I was doing both. And that's probably true with most cold case detectives out there now. Um, So it's all about the money. And fortunately, there's agencies out there like Authram that does DNA, high profile DNA testing. Um, There's grants out there that you can get to submit evidence that has otherwise been turned down because there was not enough DNA. Uh, Companies like Authram can do that. Uh, A lot of agencies don't know that, so they don't bother submitting the information to those companies.
1: How is, how would a police department find out things like that? Different programs that are available. I mean, is there somebody that would have to research it or is there somebody that reaches out? How did like, how does y'all find out?
0: Well, most of these companies like all they will actually contact the agency and say, look, you've got these cases that are open and we see that you submitted evidence and it was rejected because there was not enough uh, to run a profile. Well, they can do that. And so they're contacting agencies all over the place telling them that, okay. Um, but it's also up, it's also up to the detective every year, new technology comes up, you know, you gotta take classes, try to stay up on the the latest information that's out there and the latest training that's out there and go get that training. Mm -hmm. So, Mm It's oh. a, but that's up to the administration whether you can do that or not. Yeah, It's not really up to the tech itself.
1: Right. They have to kind of set it up, I guess. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That's really helpful. That's good information. Authorum. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we really appreciate it.
0: based out of Houston.
1: Oh, okay. Authorum's based
0: out of, out of uh, the woodlands in Houston. And there, if you go on uh, LinkedIn, you're constantly seeing them solve cases 30 40 years old because people gave up and said well we we don't have enough dna we can't we submitted dna to dps or whoever and there was not enough to run a profile uh well the companies like that now Mm -hmm. them specifically are able to do that now so a lot of cases are getting solved
2: Mm -hmm. that's awesome
1: yeah that is awesome it's encouraging for sure to to know that they can go back and do that um you know, the, they, they said they had a mixed and partial DNA um, uh, sample or whatever you call it. Um, <clears throat> in the Missy in Beaver's Mrs. case. Yeah, they said it was mixed and partial. Yeah.
2: So hopefully, they, okay. said they, they said they couldn't do anything with it in the article that they released several years ago. So I'm hoping in the future. Is there hope for a small mixed and partial sample that in the future it could be useful?
0: Yeah, I mean company like i said often they're able to separate that and if it's if it's contaminated they might not be able to do anything with it but they also might be able to run and get two different profiles mm-hmm. so i mean you have to think about it this way was it mixed because it was hers and someone else's or were there two people mm-hmm. and you're getting both of their dna's so
2: right right we don't have very any-
0: least at At the very least, they need to let the science look at it and let the science determine if it's salvageable or not.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, some people have speculated that there's more than one person involved in Missy's death, so that could be.
1: Do you um, do you find that a lot of times um, cases similar to this one that it's uh, common for the uh, perpetrator to bring um, to get uh, tools from the location to use them to harm someone?
0: Well, it depends on what they were there for. If there was a random thing, if they were a drug addict that just happened to stumble upon the building and randomly did it, then, yeah, it would make sense for him to use whatever's available. But if it was a planned attack, um, you have to look at that two different ways. Does he want to use any of his own stuff? Does he want to be somebody that later on gets caught because you have him going into Walmart buying those tools? Um, Or is is he smart enough to know the layout of the place and said, well, I can just use whatever they have. And it can't be traced back to me. There's a lot of different scenarios there.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. From what we understand, the perpetrator did use his or her own gun and did leave with that gun. So. That's never been found, the weapon.
1: But used tools from the church.
2: Yeah, apparently we heard, we read reports where police said that they did pick up some tools in the church that they used for the murder, too, apparently. It's just kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But the gun was definitely belonged to the perpetrator. Or at least the perpetrator. Might have been something that was,
0: if he decided to make it look like a, um, she was beat up first and then murdered with a gun, who knows, he might have. That could be something that was planned. that could be something that was random.
2: Yeah.
1: Definitely a psycho either way. Such a complex case. <laughs> Can I, I can't even imagine what y'all go through on a daily basis trying to solve cases. I feel for you.
0: Yeah, they can get pretty complicated. I can
1: imagine. Well, we just wanted to thank you so much for coming on here today and, um, and you know, talking about your background and, and investigations and things like that. And of course, the Missy Beavers case. And maybe we could have you on again in the future if we get it to a better place with this case and see what you think about it. Yeah, if we have any big updates, we'd love to get your opinion on it.
0: Well, the one I gave you was the one I was lead detective on, the other two, I was an assistant detective. Um, for Williamson County and then another neighboring agency asked me to come in and assist them with another cold case that they had. And we ended up getting convictions in all three. I'm very proud to say that. That's fantastic. Uh, a lot of good teamwork, a lot of smart detectives and uh, a lot of agencies that actually allow their people to do the work. And you have to have all three of those to be able to successfully work a cold case.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. We're so glad that you've had such a fantastic experience with that. And thank you for sharing your stories with our listeners. Yeah. They're going to love fun. this episode. Thanks, Larry. And thanks for doing a repeat. What our listeners don't know is that we did this entire episode and we had a glitch at the podcast place and they had not recorded it. So we <laughs> we have triple duty on recording this one. That won't happen again. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Larry. We hope you have a fantastic week and thanks for spending time with True Crime Broads.
0: Thanks for having me. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: This episode is brought to you by Page 2 Inspection Services, LLC. Specializing in foundation, inspection, reporting, commercial, residential, and home, or mixed-use properties. They handle prompt reporting and services at the most competitive price in the structural engineering field. Pal Engineering Services also specializes in structure, structure reporting, and mechanical engineering in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Houston, and throughout the state of Texas. They do structural inspection, track full home inspection and evaluation, foundation inspection and repair plan, Modular Home Inspection, Pest Inspection, Mechanical and Electrical Inspections, Drainage Plans, and Retaining Walls. Be sure and check them out at uh, www.page2inspections.com or www.palingineeringinc.com. The phone number to reach them at is 972-268-4140. Thank you for supporting True Crime Broads.
2: People, that boy, it's lit.